Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, TuneIn Radio, Good Pods, Stitcher, Pandora. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and on TikTok as Let's Talk Micro. So go ahead and follow on social media. You know, I always like to post pictures of organisms and leave updates as to when the next episode is coming out. So definitely go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, and if you do, please go ahead and leave a review, or at the very least, rate it. That always helps the podcast. Any, you know, any positive feedback, any reviews. So, and also, you know, any topic suggestions, any other feedback, it's always welcome and appreciated. And if you haven't listened to the last episode of Let's Talk Micro, go ahead and do so. Great episode with Dr. Jose Alexander from Advent Health. He is a microbiologist and director. And he came to the podcast also with Dustin Evans, who's a microbiology supervisor. And both of them, they came to the podcast to talk about a PCR test that is used to detect three types of amoeba. So it was a great episode. You know, this test, uh, it differs from the one the CDC has. This one can detect three types of amoeba, like I just said. And definitely, you know, we talk in this episode about the challenges, how they develop this test, how it compares to other tests that are out there, and many other things. You know, it's always, we don't get as many cases of amoeba as we do with bacteria or viruses. But they are deadly. So there are many challenges in the lab as far as training. Not many labs have tests to identify them. So this was a great episode. So definitely very helpful if you are thinking of bringing this test to your lab. So go ahead and check it out if you haven't already. And on today's episode, we are talking about microbes again, but this time in appliances. So if you remember, a few episodes back, you know, Dr. Andrea Princey, she came to the podcast and she talked about an article about microbes in your food, right? If you remember, we talk about feta cheese, we talk about fusarium, and it'd been used in a, in a popular meat substitute. So in this episode, we talk about microbes in your appliances, right? In your shower, in your uh, washing machine, in your dishwashers. So definitely it was a great conversation with a guest that in my opinion, I think she has a pretty cool job. Her name is Dr. Madeline Barron, and she actually, she writes articles for the American Society for Microbiology. So a very cool job, you know, doing all this research and coming out with all this great information. And that's how I came upon this article. Like I'm always searching for articles or topics that I can bring to the podcast. And I saw what she published about microbes, you know, and appliances. So I reached out, she accepted, and here we are. So it was definitely a great conversation about, you know, which microbes we can find in, in which appliances. You know, what can we do to minimize, you know, to clean this, this devices, these appliances, you know, to reduce the number of microbes. And also what effect it is, you know, should we be concerned about our health for having these microbes and you know, the appliances? So we talked about many things. 
it was a very educational, very informative episode. So let's go ahead and listen to it. So a couple episodes ago, uh, we did a, an episode about microbes in your food. And as I was reading through some articles, I saw one that picked my interest. And I thought it would be a good follow-up on that. However, this one is about microbes in your appliances. So with me today, I have a guest. She's the author of, a, of an article that she published in the American Society for Microbiology about microbial inhabitants. Her name is Dr. Madeline Barron. Dr. Barron, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Definitely a pleasure having you. So for the audience, let's go ahead and start with an introduction. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yep, I'm Dr. Madeline Barron. I received my PhD in microbiology and immunology from the University of Michigan um, of April this past year. Um, and while I was there, I broadly studied um, mechanisms through which the intestinal environment regulates bacterial colonization of the gut. Um, particularly interested in understanding uh, Clostridioides difficile infection. Um, and I'm now the science communication specialist at the American Society for Microbiology, where I write articles and create content um, about diverse topics in the microbial sciences. Yes, definitely. Uh, and for the audience out there, definitely on the ASM, they publish some great articles out there from a wide variety of topics in microbiology, antimicrobials, any subjects. So if you're looking for to further your knowledge a little bit, definitely it's a it's a great resource. So I definitely invite you to check it. And at the end of on the show notes, I will put the link to this article so you can go ahead and check it out. So let's go ahead and and, and do an overview of the article. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my motivation for writing this piece was to shine some light on the microbes that are living um, in and on the spaces that we often associate with, you know, quote unquote, clean. Um, those that we use to clean ourselves or our belongings um, and how, you know, from a microbial standpoint, they're really not that clean. Um, so I wanted to focus on some of the appliances that we use in our day to day lives, like washing machines, dishwashers, and also, you know, showers and toothbrushes, like I said, that we that we associate with personal hygiene. And so also touching a little bit on um, some ways that we can reduce or control the microbial burdens in these common household appliances, utensils and spaces, um, and as well as, you know, highlighting a little bit of the health implications of the microbes that are present there. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely very interesting. A lot of, you know, especially if you were in microbiology and and you work with microbes, you definitely think about this stuff as you enter your home and you're careful about, you know, like your shoes, where you step. And so you definitely keep in mind that. And I know we're going to start with the sponges, you know, that the article talks about. And that's one definitely that I, you know, I, I heard about and I'll ask about this in, later on about microwaving them and, and how much bacteria they can have. And as, as I was reading the article, I saw that it also that you can have viruses and archaea. So that was definitely very interesting. So like what kind of viruses and, and, and archaea can be found? And also for the audience, uh, if you can talk br briefly about archaea. Yeah, absolutely. So I will preface this by saying that um, based on my research for this article, there isn't a whole lot of 
data out there on the non-bacterial members of the sponge microbial community. We uh, we know that you know bacteria come in. There's loads of bacteria in sponges, but with the other types of microbes, it's a little bit um, less well understood. But um, in the evidence we do have, uh, in terms of viruses, there are a lot of viruses. Um, or bacteriophages. So these are viruses that infect bacteria. So um, those are pretty common and, and pretty abundant in sponges. Um, and you can imagine, given how many bacteria are in a sponge, that makes sense. The viruses have lots of hosts. Um, and so there are back there are phages that uh, infect, you know, a broad range of bacteria. Some they're a little bit more specific. Um, but yeah, we have a diverse phage population going on. Uh, in terms of archaea, so these are prokaryotic organisms that are similar to, but evolution, evolutionary distinct um, from bacteria. So they're actually more closely related to animals and plants. And so archaea are typically found in extreme environments. So these can be places with high salt concentrations, pressures, temperatures. And so if we're thinking about sponges, um, there was a small analysis done of, you know, like five different sponges from different households and the dominant archaea species that uh, they had found belonged to halobacteria class. And so these organisms generally, generally prefer, prefer, excuse me, environments with high salt concentrations. And so um, in this study, the researchers suggested that it might be due to residual salt left in sponges from maybe food or other sources like that, um, that creates an environment that supports their growth. But as I mentioned, this was you know a small analysis. There's still a lot we have to uncover, um, but yeah, future research. Yeah, definitely. And and thank you for that. I know like you know, for the audience, we have all, it's varied. So, you know, we have a lot of medical laboratory scientists, you know, we focus more on clinical microbiology. And, you know, when you start hearing about archaea and it's more, you know, when you're taking more microbiology classes or you're also pursuing like graduate studies, so everyone can learn a little bit about that. Um, so as far as sponges, um, so definitely, and like I mentioned before, I heard about this and I do it, you know, typically that's one, like a pet peeve of mine with the sponges. And I know that it always, it irks me a little bit when, especially when people just leave it all wet on in the sink and just like, don't know, just rinse it, let it dry. And then I, <laughs> I put it in the microwave. And can you talk about the effect of, of that, of microwaving a sponge and what effect it has on the microorganisms? Yeah, definitely. So this is, yeah, as you mentioned, a little bit more common knowledge, if you microwave a sponge, it's supposed to kill the bacteria and the other microbes. So typically we think about microwaving a damp sponge for about a minute or so. And essentially what you're doing when you're microwaving a sponge is you're really boiling the microbes. The water in the sponge gets so hot that you're essentially just <laughs> boiling them to death. Um, and I, I want to note that, you know, the efficacy of microwaving sponges can differ on a sponge to sponge basis. It's, you know, tired, tied to the power of the microwave that you're using, how many microbes are actually present in the sponge. And so, um, you know, we'd actually need a little bit more, more studies to look at how all of these variables come into play and how well microwaving works. It certainly doesn't hurt. It is effective to an extent, um, but we can't say that it gets rid of all the microbes. Um, but essentially, yeah, boiling, boiling them to death. Yeah, indefinitely. Yeah. And at some point in time, the sponge gets to a point that it's just best to, you know, get a new one. Yeah. If it starts to smell and it gets really dirty, it's maybe just better to to throw that one away. Yeah. 
And so this brings us to the next question because that one, this one, I also have done it. You know, sometimes, you know, you microwave it and sometimes it hitches a ride on the dishwasher mm -hmm. as you're, you know, the article mentions this as well. So it also talks about biofilms. So for the audience, you know, can you define what a biofilm is? And also, you know, the, the article mentions that there's a difference in the composition between all biofilm, all dishwashers and new ones. Can you talk about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, our dishwashers are, they do have plenty of microbes um, associated with them. In terms of what a biofilm is, so this is essentially a sticky film of aggregated microbes, you know, bacteria, we often think of bacterial biofilms that adhere to a surface. So particularly surfaces that are moist or wet. And the cells in a biofilm are embedded in a slimy extracellular matrix that are produced by the microbes that consists of sugars and proteins and DNA. And so my, you know, from a microbial standpoint, there are a number of benefits to forming a biofilm. One of them being that the microbes in the biofilm are more resilient to environmental stressors. So these can be chemical and nutritional, you know, exposure to toxic substances, survival during times of nutrient starvation, um, or mechanical stressors. So in the context of, of this discussion, the rushing water in a dishwasher or a shower head and, and other um, stressors like that. And so we can imagine then that forming biofilms would be beneficial in places like dishwashers, where there are a variety of extreme conditions like, you know, temperature changes, detergents, mechanical stress, like I said, from the water system. But there are microbes that survive in these conditions. And so that is through forming biofilms. And there are various factors that influence the composition of these biofilms um, in, in terms of our dishwasher. So often studies, when they're looking at dishwasher mi microbes, they're really looking at the rubber seal that runs along the dishwasher door. So it essentially keeps keeps water from spilling out into your kitchen. And so by uh, examining these different microbial communities, they've shown that um, uh, the frequency of use for the dishwasher matters in terms of the microbes that are present. And as you mentioned, you know, the um, age of the dishwasher. So um, a recent study examining the rubber seal biofilms of household dishwashers found that those um, on newer machines, so zero to four years old, looked a little bit different from those on older machines, so like eight years old. Um, and in terms of, you know, what those differences were, for example, newer machines had higher abundances of bacterial genera like Escherichia and Shigella. Older machines had some Brevibacterium, so this is a bacterial genus often associated with milk products, but also found in the soil and on human skin, so in diverse environments. So, you know, these differences are interesting. What exactly do they mean? Um, well, it means the, the, the dishwasher communities are dynamic. You know, what's shaping those communities? Um, that's still, you know, something that we can investigate. Um, but I will note, too, that, you know, some of the species uh, genera present are known to harbor potential pathogens. And so there may be some implications for human health there, but we would we would need a little bit more research to establish that link. Yeah, and definitely those of you that you know you're you're studying micro, you definitely hear the term biofilm, you know, like you mentioned, services, and you also, on um, you know, can be on medical devices as well. So they do mm -hmm. they do cause trouble. Definitely. Uh, 
So there are actually, you know, they sell commercially, you know, dishwasher cleaning detergents, and you also have um, washing machines because the article mentions them as well. So you have washing machine cleaning detergents that you put them there, you start a cycle, and it should right helps clean it. That's what they are for. So <laughs> that's the goal, right? right? Yeah. So what's the effect of that on the on the microorganisms for the, both the dishwasher and the washing machine? Yeah. So you know. To an extent, they do influence the the mi microbes that are living in and on the, the machine. So these are detergents that disrupt can disrupt the membrane of microbes. Um, for instance, you know, as we mentioned, though, biofilms can sometimes protect organisms from the effects of, of stressors like detergents. And some microbes are hardier than others in terms of how well they're able to adapt and respond to stress. And so... Um, I will kind of expand a little bit more on detergents in, in the context of washing machines, because there's a little bit more uh, research out there about that. But for example, many household washing machines are geared toward removing dirt and stains, not necessarily for disinfection. So they may take care of some microbes just purely because they are a detergent, but not all. Um, we know, in fact, that some microbes can actually degrade components of detergents um, as they're living there and actually create an odor that you might, you know, depending on, on the machine, you might actually smell the presence of microbes there from kind of a funky smell. Um, using detergents like bleach can increase the antimicrobial um, or detergents containing bleach can increase the antimicrobial capabilities of those detergents. But I think it's it's worth noting that other factors, in addition to those detergent types and use, play really a key role in the effect of washing on the microbial communities. And so um, washing temperature is a big one, both for washing machines and dishwashers. So for instance, you know, many of us opt for a cold water cycle during laundering, for primarily, you know, because it's more energy efficient. But actually, the temperature that we use is a pretty steep drop from what's needed to kill most bacteria. And so even with bleach, cold water can facilitate growth of microbes or really just not take care of them altogether. So um, the kind of the bottom line there is, you know, detergents do matter. They're not doing nothing. Um, but other factors in, in addition to those detergents are uh, both affect and influence the effect of detergents on microbes in these appliances. Wow, and it's interesting that you say about the you know the temperature, right? Because we try to be more energy efficient, and that's one of the you know main goals as we you know progress. And we definitely we try that, but now you think about it, the effect that this can have on the on the organisms. And you mentioned the smell. I mean, I think that's something, especially here for myself and the viewers in Florida. Definitely, you know, the we have like the, the water is hard, so you're mm -hmm. ready after like a few washes, you can kind of. You know, that smell gets you and then you use one of those detergents that I mentioned about and then it removes the smell. That definitely resonated. Um, so as far as, so let's go ahead and uh, talk about the shower. You know, something that you mentioned in your article and I do mention it to my students. And, and uh, so what kind of microbes can be found in the shower? Yeah, for sure. So some of the microbes in showers people might be familiar with and not know it just based because they're they're actually visible. You can see them. So uh, you might be familiar with pink pink mold that develops in the shower kind of along the tub or in between shower tiles or even on the curtain. Um, and that commonly that is, you know, 
commonly caused by two pink, pigment, pink pigmented um, bacterial species that can feed on soap residues and other organic compounds that sort of splatter around the shower. So those are things we can see. Um, there's also microbes in shower aerosols um, that come in, in water and form biofilms in the shower heads. And then when you, you know, turn on the water, they sort of maybe spew out a little bit. And so, for example, uh, some, some microbes that are particularly associated for with particularly associated with shower aerosols are um, species of non-tuberculosis mycobacteria. Mm -hmm. And so these bacteria, you know, as their name suggests, they're, they're mycobacteria that don't cause tuberculosis, um, but these are common in the environment and can be isolated from shower water and shower heads. Um, and when inhaled, some species can cause lung disease, particularly in immunocompromised individuals. And shower aerosols are actually recognized as an important route of transmission for these uh, mycobacterial species. And it was actually interesting in, in my research for this article, um, I came across a recent analysis of over, you know, 650 households across US and Europe that showed that mycobacterium was the most abundant genus detected in residential shower heads. And they actually found that there was an overlap um, in regions where there were higher burdens of um, non-tuberculosis mycobacterial lung disease. Um, and suggesting that there might be an association between these showerhead aerosols and disease, but that's a little bit, a little bit more correlative, but it's still an interesting observation. And then, you know, one of the, one of the areas that I hadn't really thought about until, until I was reading up on this was that uh, bath toys. So rubber duckies, <laughs> they actually can harbor quite, quite a load of bacteria. Uh, one study found up to 9.5 million bacterial CFU per centimeter squared inside the bath toys of, you know, quote unquote, real, real world bath toys. Um, and so that was just an interesting little tidbit I hadn't considered that, you know, they, sh they sure can make bath time fun, but they, they can also be uh, harboring quite a few microbes as well. So. Wow. Yes, definitely. And, and it was also in the article about also mm -hmm. uh, serratia. Yeah. Also, yep. It's also when I doing the, the, the enterobacterialis with the students, you know, I like to talk about that and you see the looks on their faces, you know, it's like, you can have, you know, you see that, like that orange and, you know, you have serratia there and they're like, oh, okay. And then, you know, you bleach it and it just goes away. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it makes you think. And I just, on a, on a side note, I think that's what, this is like a, from a personal standpoint. But whenever I'm watching a film and film and I see like, you know, they film someone sitting on a shower, I just cringe. You know, that's something <laughs> yeah. personal. But I, yeah, I cannot do that. Yeah, I just. Yeah. Always... Yeah. The more you know, right? It's yeah. Just, as a microbiologist, the more you know, you're just aware of the microbes all around you at all times. Yeah, definitely. So, um, this one we actually, you know, we we touch on it before we start recording, uh, to make sure that we pronounce it correctly. Uh, <laughs> so the article mentions um, exophiala derm dermatitis. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, so this is a species of black yeast, and it's commonly associated with dishwashers. But this this organism is, they call it polyextremophilic, which as that suggests, it can survive a variety of extreme conditions. So this can be high and low temperatures, varying pHs, high salt concentrations, even, you know, radiation. Um, and so it's found in the environment 
Um, but it's also abundant in places like steam baths, bathrooms, as I said, dishwashers, uh, where, as we mentioned, there are a number of extreme conditions that microbes must, must withstand to survive. And so uh, E. dermatitidis is uh, it's a rare cause of fungal infections in humans. It's most common associated with you know, skin infections. Um, particularly again in people who are immunocompromised, but we still don't actually know a lot about the microbes, mechanisms of infection, you know, virulence factors, host risk factors. So the, the disease side of things is a, still a little bit murky, but yeah, this is a, a common member of the dishwasher microbial community um, and one that we we still have to learn a little bit more about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I hadn't, I hadn't heard of it um, before and just you know, especially since typically like in, in my line of work, like just especially when you get to large hospitals, mycology, you know, it gets to be a little, a little more compartmentalized, so more specialized. So you don't have that many people working back there. So so what about, you know, we mentioned definitely, you know, I talked about throwing out the sponge. You know, we talked about the dishwasher, washing machine detergents. So what other recommendations are there to clean these appliances or spaces? Yeah, well, we'll just, we'll go down the line. So for sponges, we talked about microwaving. And yes, if your sponge is gross, maybe just get rid of it. Um, you can also just be a little bit proactive in terms of how you use your sponge. So avoid wiping up, you know, risky methods. So raw meat, you might want to just maybe opt for something that's not your sponge if you're going to wipe that up, which, you know, is often associated with, you know, foodborne pathogens and, and things like that. And so you can also opt for a different type of scrubbing tool, depending on how the sponge is being used. So dish brushes, for example, they dry faster, they harbor less bacteria than sponges. So that might be a good choice if you're looking for an alternative. Uh, in terms of cleaning appliances, so as we mentioned, increasing the temperature can help control microbial contamination. Uh, if you're, you know, keeping energy efficiency in mind, this could be periodically or under certain circumstances. So if you were going to wash bed sheets, for example, after someone was sick, it might make sense to use hot water. Uh, you can also run a clean out cycle in these machines without dishes or clothing to essentially, you know, wash it, <laughs> wash the inside of the, the appliance. And it also doesn't hurt to wipe down the rubber seals or the walls or just, you know, take a take a rag to it every so often to prevent biofilm buildup. Um, and so if we're you know, moving right along in terms of what you can do for showers, so the places we go to to wash ourselves, it is possible to disinfect the shower head. There are several resources online um, that describe how to do this, even using common household supplies like baking soda. Um, it may also be beneficial to regularly wipe down or disinfect your shower curtains and just the shower in general, uh, bath toys, um, or replace those things on a regular basis. And, you know, this might be particularly more important in homes with high risk individuals. So as we've mentioned, those that might be more susceptible to infections, like those who are uh, immunocompromised. Okay, yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. Um, so as far as so now that we know about what organisms can be there and so what is the risk of having them i mean can we get sick or mm -hmm. yeah that's you know that's the good question isn't it so i've mentioned several times how microbes detected in and on these appliances and tools 
may be potentially pathogenic, you know, typically opportunistic pathogens. Uh, I will say that direct evidence of infections caused by the cleaning appliances and objects that we've talked about, specifically in the household, is, is relatively sparse. There have been a few studies associating certain infections or transmission of bacteria that could cause disease with tools that are used to clean. I mentioned the mycobacteria and lung disease correlative study. Um, another study had found that a domestic style washing machine um, was responsible for transmitting Klebsiella oxytoca. So this is a bacterium that can cause a diverse range of infections. Um, and it was transmitting the bacteria to newborns in a neonatal intensive care unit. If they removed the machine, the transmission stopped. And there are a few others that are kind of within that, within that line of thinking. And so there is the potential for infection. Uh, and as we mentioned, this could be particularly relevant for more vulnerable individuals. But I, I think it's really important to remember that the presence of microbes in these spaces is not inherently harmful. I mean, it's really kind of a microbial world and we're just living in it, right? The, the microbes are everywhere. Um, and many of them associate, you know, in and on us and our surroundings and in these appliances and, and spaces um, are not harmful. And so even the presence of an opportunistic pathogen is really not enough to determine its disease causing potential. So there are a number of other factors that come into play, right? Like the host susceptibility, the host immune response, transmission route, you know, is, is it likely to even be transmitted to the place where it would cause disease based on you know, its location um, in the home? And so really more research is needed to understand the links between microbes in these places and in human health. But of course, you know, it never, it never hurts to be microbial conscious. You know, as we said, if you're you wipe down your washing machine, that's not going to be a problem. If your sponge is gross, just get rid of it. You know, those um, being aware is definitely never a problem. But for the most part, we're all doing pretty okay. Yes, you know, and I like that you said that because yeah, you know, we see this, we read all this, and especially if you're not too familiar with this microbes, you're like, oh my goodness, you know, I have all this here and here and here. But yeah, I mean, unless typically as, as human beings, you know, unless we are immunocompromised, you know, we go out there and we are exposed to microbes, you know, all day and wherever we go. So it's just like, you know, we don't get sick, but then you have some factors in play when once your immune system can be compromised, so then you're at risk or, but it's good to have that in your mind and definitely just you're conscious, you know, they are just clean the surfaces, clean, clean, clean those appliances, reduce the number of them. And, exactly. And we'll, yeah. we'll be okay. Yeah. For the most part, we'll be fine. We're doing okay. But, you know, it, I think it's, it's interesting to think about and it also doesn't hurt to know. So. Yeah, definitely doesn't. Um, is there anything else that you want to add to this? I don't think so. I think, you know, it was a pleasure talking about it. I'm, I was, um, Really excited to be featured. So thank you. I I agree. Definitely. It's been a pleasure. Uh, so, you know, having you, this was great. I, I learned so much. I read the article. I enjoyed it. And I definitely, you know, I'm thankful that you accepted my invitation. So thank you so much for taking the time to being on Let's Talk Micro. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. My pleasure. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. 
I hope you enjoy listening to this article about microbes in your appliances. Great conversation with Dr. Byrne. As always, I enjoy, I enjoy bringing this information to you. So please, you know, always continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. We have such a great job where we help so much, you know, we help a lot of people. So continue bringing that passion in what you do. It will always make you better at your job. So as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.